latest episode of the BGSS On Retail podcast. My name is Jake Knowles. I'm a retail consultant here at BGSS. And I'm delighted to be joined by... Mel Wade, another retail consultant at BGSS. And... Katie Gibbs, head of AI at BGSS. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you both. Um, really looking forward to hearing your perspective, Katie, um, on AI, both as a technology and its impact in retail. And obviously, Mel, your retail expertise uh, as to what retailers have, have done and, and can do with AI as well. So... We'll jump straight into it then. So, Katie, in layman's terms then, really spell it out for us. What is AI and and how has it advanced so far in the last couple of years? Yes, I think it's important that we know when we talk about AI in a business sense, we're talking about narrow AI. So we're talking about computers being able to do one task as well or better than a human. We're not talking about artificial general intelligence in this sense. Yeah. Um, I just think it's worth noting that up front because a lot of people do get a bit sidetracked by that. Mm. Um, and I think AI has been a really exciting space, especially the last, uh, well, I'd say the last year in particular, it's come on in leaps and bounds. As people have started to see that there's business benefits to applying artificial intelligence to their organisation, it's becoming much more widely adopted and people are talking about it a lot more. That's great, but it's also a bit of a concern because it means that people are going, we want some of that AI, that's going to fix all our problems. It's a silver bullet. Yeah. And it's trying to kind of temper the enthusiasm with actually some realism as to, you know, take a step back. Don't be led by the technology. Um, let's talk about what the technology can do for you, what's the business value it's going to add, and really understanding what the driver is Yeah. rather than just AI for the sake of AI. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll come on to common misconceptions later on, so I think that silver bullet one might just arise. But yeah, I think uh, obviously retail is one of the key sectors, I think, where it's ripe for disruption in AI, and we'll talk about some good use cases so far. But I think... Um, the numbers speak for themselves and, you know, by 2022, $7.3 billion will be spent on AI uh, compared with currently $2 billion last year. So we're going to see that growth, you know, um, retailers investing in AI, whatever that may be for, for the different areas of their business. But there's three that really jump out for me and, and Mel, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on these. I think the first one is is personalization. So, you know, we talk a lot about customers in retail and, and giving those personalised experience. So how do we think that AI might be able to help personalisation in retail? Yeah, so I think personalisation, as you've said, is such an important thing for retailers at the minute to make sure they can actually engage with customers and give them what they want. And what AI can do is really drive the data behind this so help make sense of all of the data that retailers have been collecting and then use that to help them understand what the customer does learning about behaviors and then coming up with actionable insights that they can actually use for individual customers Um, so I think quite a good example of this is some subscription service companies Um, so for example Thread who use a lot of AI to match customers personal style with the clothing suggestions that they make for them so it's going beyond just saying oh you've you've bought this item before this is something that's really similar but it's the the level beyond that of saying we understand you as a customer we understand your lifestyle therefore here are some additional products that you can have i think asos have done something similar where they're making recommendations based on what you've previously bought but most importantly based on what you've kept And Mm. they're doing it in order to massively reduce the amount of returns that they get. But from a customer perspective, that's a wonderful experience because they're taking into consideration your personal style rather than just going, here's a top picks of kind of new products that we'd like you to see. Absolutely. And I think the big one for ASOS is their size as well. I think I've seen um, 
on my partner's ASOS app, they actually give you kind of a recommended size based yeah. on your past as well. Yeah. So massive yeah, thing yeah. with retail returns is getting that size wrong. So actually using AI to say, you know, you kept this top, but return this one. So we think your size is probably this in this in this design, mm. I think is massive. And anything you can do to uh, kind of lower the rate of yeah. returns is, is massive. I mean, so. you'd hope they just standardise sizing. but <laughs> <laughs> We can all hope. We can all hope. Uh, Where's the fun in that? Yeah. <laughs> I like to let's guess between AI, three sizes. Fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So related to that, Katie, I guess, uh, is intelligent automation. So what in, what in your opinion then, what, what do we mean by intelligent automation? Um, so I think that there's a few different ways it's being applied, particularly yeah. in retail. Um, there's a lot in terms of kind of back office. So intelligent process automation has mm-hmm. um, been talked about a lot. So looking at how you can drive efficiencies in the supply chain through to kind of managing stock levels. And I think actually um, I read an example that Ocado are using and they essentially applied machine learning to customer complaints in order to automatically categorise and prioritise them which meant that rather than just going through customer complaints as and when they came, come through the mailbox, yeah. it was kind of a set delay to every single customer mm. complaint. Anything that's high priority, they jump on immediately in order to try and kind of calm people down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really nice kind of narrow example of how AI is being used to drive benefits to the organisation but also to customers. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one and I think... Ocado are kind of at the forefront of really mm. experimenting with those emerging tech and you hear a lot about the robots in the mm. warehouse and stuff like that but I think customer service is just as important and being able to give those kind of incremental gains and prioritise that is is massive. I think another really interesting one is is Nike so kind of judging that balance between automation and personalization. so in their Melrose store in LA what they've done is use AI to to really provide personalised products on those shelves so using the the kind of local social media data customer data purchasing data all those things to influence those kind of products and those ranges so going away from what you traditionally see seasonally um, and actually towards you know the LA specific needs which I think is really interesting and uh, something I hope to see more of especially kind of in London and whatever those kind of purchasing decisions are, really influencing that livestock, I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's a real trend that we've seen over the last year or so, people recognising it's not just their own data they can use in order to influence personalisation and automation. There's a whole host of of social media data they can use, and that's enabling much smarter recommendations and much higher engagements with customers as well. Definitely, and and I guess, how do you go about encouraging companies to, to kind of broaden their horizon with their data I guess how do you what's the kind of strategy to that is it just see what's out there and grab it or to us, I think most people are very open to experimenting with their data okay. and seeing what's possible with it the problem is actually the state of the data and getting yeah. access to it yeah it tends to be kind of in different parts of your organization yeah um and there's no standardization so it actually there's a bit of a data cleansing process you need to go through I think the biggest barrier that I've seen is people go, right, in order to do any machine learning, we need a data lake. Let's collect it all up. Mm. And I think at BGSS, we very much talk about start small, kind of like let's figure out a small machine learning algorithm won't be able to run to drive value from your data. Yeah. And it might just be a small subset of data, but let's actually determine whether there's value here first before you invest all this effort in, have all the data in place and realise actually you can't do anything with it or you're not going to yeah. get enough value that was worth the investment to do so. Yeah, I agree. So I think I've seen Stella McCartney, they're doing something similar, but instead of just looking at a small set of data, they're actually going really wide. So they're partnering with um, Google to 
try and increase the visibility across the whole supply chain, but then to also show for growing, um, I think it's cotton and viscose, what that environmental impact actually is. But obviously because the supply chain is such a huge and complex thing, and especially just at the beginning of growing it, yeah. that there's so much data from so many different companies that they then need to try and pull together to be able to provide that visibility and to be able to say, actually, this is what the impact is, so you should try and do it in a different way. So they're going to be using that and then providing the first version of that tool next year. So I'm so intrigued to see if they're actually going to be able to do that, considering the state of data across so many different Mm. companies that you spoke about, Katie. That will be a very interesting concept, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the way that companies are changing. They're they're looking at how they can combine their data across Mm. multiple organisations, multiple providers. And it's either with a focus on sustainability, like that example, or actually just customer experience. Definitely. So we've you mentioned uh, supply chain there a little bit, Mel. What else have you mm-hmm. kind of seen out there that that strikes you as a as a good use of AI in supply chain? So uh, Carrefour um, are starting to use it now to optimize their inventory management, and again, this is tapping into the kind of double bonuses of reducing their cost because it means that they can do accurate ordering, but as well going into that sustainability element of they're not over-ordering, therefore they're not generating yeah. waste, therefore they don't have to worry about um, having to then retrospectively reduce the waste that they have generated, but they're nipping the problem in the bud by using this to optimise all of the inventory that they get in. So I think that's one of my personal faves. Interesting, yeah. I think um, it's just another good example of the kind of the plethora of different areas of retail that, that AI can be applied. And I guess another really good example is conversational AI and conversational commerce. So in the news on a daily basis around Alexa and the trouble it's causing and the data it stores I think there's something again today they're rewriting rules around how you can actually now ask Alexa to delete the transcripts which it holds on you but um, I think there's more more issues to be seen there but yeah Katie tell us a bit about conversational AI and, and how you've seen kind of the customer support and voice kind of trends grow. Yeah I think voice is a really interesting area at the moment certainly some of the work that we've been doing recently we've seen that companies are starting to invest in privacy first voice. Okay. Going back to that issue you just explained around people being concerned about Alexa listening all the time. And actually, this is something that consumers are driving. Consumers are saying, we're not happy with the way that Alexa are using our data. So they've yeah. stopped using their Alexa or they're refusing to purchase any more Alexa products. This is a really big problem for Amazon. And I think organisations are starting to realise that if they've got an app they've developed for Alexa, their customers don't want to use it anymore. So they've got to think a bit differently about how they can engage with end users and show that they really care about their privacy and their security. I mean, um, someone did some, someone, Mel, Mel did some research. (laughs) (laughs) Mel did some research and she found that um, trust and privacy issues with voice assistants have led to a 42% decline in their purchase over the last year. I mean, that's a really shocking figure when you think that Amazon is saying that Alexa searches are 50 billion per month at the moment and it's expected to go up to 200 billion per month by 2020. I'm not convinced those figures add up. I'm not convinced that we're going to reach that um, attrition rate that yeah, Alexa are expecting because I th- I genuinely think we've suddenly seen this downward curve and it's a really interesting way of people interacting with brands but that's become a real barrier, that privacy yeah. perspective. I completely agree and I think that links into the other stat of 2% who own Alexa's buying from it but 90% of those wouldn't repeat purchase. Yeah. So it's around, I think it's both the trust and privacy issues but I think it's also maybe the... Um, 
technology isn't quite there to enable customers to trust it, Mm -hmm. um, to actually say, this is the exact product that you've asked for, therefore I've ordered it for you, and being able to say, yeah, I don't need to check my phone, I don't need to check my uh, basket to make sure that it's the right product because I know that the the tech's there to be able to do it. So (laughs) I was outside my personal story here I was outside my flat the other day and then my uh, neighbour's windows were open and for about 30 seconds I just heard both of them shouting Alexa stop and then it just was it was just keeping on playing and I think until that kind of technology issue is addressed of also being able to completely have that voice recognition element of it that's why we're also not going to see so much purchasing and things like that from it Mm. yeah but then I've just said that's a real barrier to uh, adoption in the future but then I mm. think especially in retail companies are starting to invest in what their voice presence is mm. they're starting to really think about how they can engage with customers in this way because obviously chatbots have been a kind of this massive thing in retail for the last five years or so and it's been um, completely transformative to the way people interact with customer support but people are getting frustrated with it now because it's not smart enough or it's not engaging enough. And they're just everywhere. People have got chatbot fatigue. Mm. Um, so it's got to be something really special in order to stand out. So I was reading the other day about Macy's have got an on-call app um, where you chat to the bot to get directions once you're in the store to find a particular item. I don't know about you. I've that's, got lost in Macy's yeah, before. That's okay. like, I think that's a brilliant idea. But it also senses frustration. So that if someone is getting frustrated or panicky and like really can't find what they're looking for or just a bit overwhelmed, it sends out an automatic alert to the nearest shop assistant to go and provide help. And I think that's the sort of way that we can start using AI to drive optimal customer yeah. engagement, a fantastic customer experience, by blending AI with experts in yeah. that area. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a few things we can do in kind of to blend what works well with chatbots with what yeah. works well with voice. But I think that we've got a way to go for this Definitely. to be mm-hmm. prolific. And, and, and how advanced is the kind of emotional recognition side of things? Because obviously Mel's personal story of Alexa <laughs> stop and raise voices, <laughs> in the future they'll probably pick that up. But yeah, yeah. is that yeah. still in its infancy, that kind of emotional No, detection? not at all. Um, I mean, we previously it's all been about positive, neutral or negative sentiment. Okay. Now it's very much about identifying emotions. Yeah. Uh, so you can identify if someone's angry, if someone's sad, if someone's happy. Like There's always different kind of emotional states we can identify, mm-hmm. or at least with a certain percentage, say it's more likely they're yeah. happy than sad. Um, and that becomes a really interesting thing to monitor because of the same way, I guess, that the Macy's on call app do, that if you, if you sense throughout a customer service journey that someone's becoming angry, then you can change the tone of voice of a chatbot in order to ensure that they stay calm throughout. So you can actually alter the persona of a chatbot and the tone of voice as it detects these different emotions. Um, Similarly, if you use it in a call centre, then you can actually have it monitoring sentiment all the way through and it can trigger different reactions from the uh, call centre support agent in order to help keep customers engaged, informed. Mm. I think I think that's a really interesting space. It is, yeah. I think uh, again, it evolves the whole customer service game and being able to really provide customers with that best customer services mm. is the way to provide value. So that all sounds really fine and dandy. So we mentioned the kind of silver bullet before. Um, what you know, tell us a bit more about that silver bullet and any other kind of misconceptions of AI, which I'm sure you've heard <laughs> thousands of. Um, I think. I mean, silver bullet is kind of two ends to a spectrum. There's the people who think AI is going to fix everything. It is the silver bullet that's going to yeah. solve all these problems. Um, it's going to make my company X amount more profitable. It's going to drive efficiencies, all this good stuff. And 
it can, but it takes a lot of work and you've really got to understand what the uh, what the output is you're trying to achieve. It can't be just, let's use machine learning. It's supposed yeah. to be, we're using machine learning in order to enhance our inventory forecasting, mm. in order to reduce waste, which therefore re- reduces our costs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that's the main misconception. People ever go, right, it's it can do everything. Uh, and it comes back to my point at the beginning around it's we're working with narrow AI. It can it can do one thing really well or you can build an end-to-end solution that does multiple things really well. It's not going to be this be-all computer system that monitors everything in your organisation yeah. and you know, um, makes everything great. But then the other end of the spectrum is people have been experimenting with AI for quite a few years now and because the space is just so proliferated by AI vendors, they've actually lost all faith that AI can deliver any value, can deliver the results. Yeah. And I think that actually that's another misconception that we struggle with at the moment where people just say, no, we tried it, it doesn't work. Mm. And it's, it is because they went tech first. They yeah. went, okay, well, let's do some automated decisioning. But they didn't decide why or what it was they're trying to achieve yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, so I think those are probably the most common misconceptions that I've come across. I mean, obviously, when you talk talk to kind of a more general public about it, you've got people like the Daily Mail publishing things around yeah. AI taking over and we yeah. can't stop it. And that's all much that's much more focused on artificial general intelligence. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of misconceptions around that. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of business, it's very much kind of those two ends of spectrum of it can do everything or it's not up to scratch. I'm yeah. gonna wait until it's matured yeah. and then I'll invest. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I guess on the Daily Mail point, I think that's probably the most <laughs> salient for retail in terms of, you know, AI and robots equal job losses. And I yeah. think, yes, of course, there are going to be cases where that is because that's, you know, the efficiencies in which it drives. You know, you look at the McDonald's kind of self-service kiosk, for example, like obviously that requires certain less numbers of staff to start taking orders. But actually in kind of the Amazon Go world where actually you don't even need checkout kind of cashiers anymore, there are still people in that store and they're still doing more value-add jobs. So they're either doing the customer service or yeah. they're restocking the shelves, yeah. whatever that is. So I don't necessarily think it, ultim- it directly means job losses. I think it just means a change in workforce, a change in skills in that workforce. Um, and actually, you know, looking on the positive side, you're developing and training a workforce who will be able to work with AI in the future and integrate with them well and um, really kind of provide a better retail experience for customers because of that combination between tech and tech and uh, the kind of human nature of things. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree because it's all about almost taking the menial jobs that yeah. not many people want to do within stores, meaning that they can then do the more interesting thing, yeah. like engaging with customers, like you said. Yeah. Um, so Walmart's another prime example of that, where they've partnered with a company called Bossanova and are using the robots to do the um, or to automate all of the inventory management and yeah. all of that. So it means that they then um, send, they then tell all the assistants when the the shelves need restocking yeah. rather than you having to walk around and do replenishment yourself and say, yeah. oh, actually, that's fine. I need to go and get something for that. Yeah. So I think it's actually really exciting, the use of it in retail, because it means that you can encourage on that customer relationship yeah. mm-hmm. and make it a more memorable experience in store. But I think it all comes back to whether the organisation's willing to invest in upskilling their workforce in a new way. Yeah. And actually, I wrote a blog article recently on this because I, we've had a lot of AI kind of festivals and conferences yeah. recently and everyone's been talking about this big thing of you know mm-hmm. what happens to people's jobs and I think the problem is that traditionally we've always thought about learning as you have your education before you go into the workforce and then 
you that's it you you work yeah and it's not it's not seen as lifelong learning that that isn't really well it might be encouraged but it's very difficult to actually find the time or the funding to do it yeah mm. and I think that it needs to come from organisations, but also from governmental policies to mm-hmm. say, actually, there's incentives behind this. Yeah. And I think uh, University of Helsinki is a great example. They opened up a free AI course online that they thought they'd just get a bit of traction um, from their students. It's yeah. had a global outreach. People have got really engaged with it. Um, and it's because there's such a lack of training available that's free to use and actually useful. So I think the desire is that people want to be upskilled and they want yeah. to work with AI. They just don't know, they don't know where to start and organisations need to encourage that. Definitely. I completely agree. So before we dive on to kind of what, what businesses need to do and, and how we can help, I guess, what else jumps out for you, Mel? What's, what's kind of one of your, your favourite use cases of uh, AI in retail? So one of my current faves is a company called Spoon Guru. Um, so they are obviously an AI-powered dietary tech startup. Um, so what they basically do is there are so many different specific dietary requirements that are out there at the minute, but then they partner with different retailers to enable these personalised recommendations, which... Uh, apparently more efficient than mm-hmm. actual health professionals. Um, so they partnered with Tesco in 2017 and led to an increase in basket conversion rates by as much as 500%, wow. which is just an insane amount. So that shows how it's using that personalisation element that we spoke about earlier and then tapping into a key trend at the minute, which yeah. is kind of increased dietary requirements and maybe people not wanting to, maybe not having the time to be able to go to specialists about mm. what are the exact foods I, that I can eat and then having that convenience of going to a retailer to being and saying, okay, so this is what I can have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just think that they've hit, hit so many things there. So they're a really interesting use case. Definitely. I think it's exciting, that one. So just to finish up then, Katie, tell us a little bit around, you know, you've mentioned a bit about the strategy and making sure that AI is the right thing. Tell us what else businesses need to do to prepare and really leverage AI if it is the thing that they want to do and, and how can you and kind of your team help them with that? Yes, I think hopefully the points come across throughout this podcast um, is really taking that step back to understand what the problem statement is or the opportunity statement is that you're looking to address. Uh, And then I think it's just crack on. Don't be scared to start. Start small and then nail it. And once you've got it right, then you can scale it out. But I think it's just about experimenting, see what works well. But the most important thing is to involve the end users, be that people in your back office or customers, um, include them throughout the process because then you can assess engagement and actually see is this something that if we put it into production they'll use and I think that that's where AI has fallen down the last few years it tends to be tech people working on it and then they send it to end users at a certain point and which like, I don't want to use that that's not adding value to me yeah. or actually mm. the whole user experience isn't anything that's adding benefit to that person um, so we, the way that we work is we combine human-centred design with technical innovation and we really focus on combining our expertise in the AI space with user-centric design. And we do that to you know, take that step back, holistically identify where AI can drive value, to build user-centric prototypes and then to deliver and scale those AI solutions uh, for our client organisations. I think one of the key things for us is we want to work in partnership with organisations. We don't want to just work in silo going, right, here's a chatbot. <laughs> That's yours now. It's really about how can we work in collaboration so that if an organisation is looking at creating their own AI capability in-house, that how can we support with that? How can we help take them on that journey? And 
you know, how do we provide support to ensure that actually in our own way we're supporting that lifelong learning? Definitely. Sounds exciting. It's very exciting. Good. Uh, well, I think we are just about out of time. So thank you both for joining me. I think it's been a really insightful episode, this one. I hope everyone listening has also found it insightful. I guess if you want to hear more about the retail team or or what Katie and her AI team do, head to the website, bjss.com. Um, keep an eye out for our future podcasts on, on your usual podcast channel. And it'd be great to hear from you. So drop any of us an email. I think it's just firstname.lastname at bjss.com. And it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much.